Welcome. You are listening to Audio from the Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.com. Grace and Peace Table Podcast listeners, Brett here. So glad that you could be with us and also first Sunday of Pride Month. So I wanted to say happy Pride to all of our LGBTQI plus um, folks who call the table home. So grateful for you and that you're, you're a part of who we are, um, both uh, in person and in those who listen online. Love y'all lots. So we are wrapping up our series titled Eastertide, This Is Not The End. For those who've been following along, you know that um, we tend to think of Easter, you know, as like a one-day event. However, for most of the church, Easter is actually an entire season. And so I really love when we can join in with the broader global church in this way. And another kind of cool thing is that it it forces me to, to preach according to what's known as the, the lectionary, like the prescribed scriptures for the week. And it has, you know, like an Old Testament reading and one from the prophets and usually one from the Psalms and another from the Gospels and, you know, and so on. And so I kind of get to choose from like four passages. And so um, that's like a kind of a good discipline and it keeps me or sort of forces me into new areas and topics and passages that um, I might not just naturally be, you know, drawn to or, or even consider. So uh, with that in mind, the title of my, my message this week is A Surprising Prayer. And our gospel reading uh, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. And it's a, it's a rather lengthy prayer, but it's, it's interesting because it's Jesus praying on behalf um, of us. And it's, it's a prayer to the one that he called uh, Father. So verse 1 of John 17 Jesus' prayer, he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus closes this portion of the prayer uh, by asking the Father to protect us. You probably caught that, that little phrase, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. As I, I think back on my own um, kind of Christian journey and, uh, and, and kind of religious life, I, I can remember how prayers for protection 
probably like the single most common prayers that I heard prayed in public. Like, for example, I can still see in my mind's eye the way um, our church, like our youth group and the parents and the youth leaders and such would all gather in a circle before um, leaving on a trip for like, say, you know, church camp or a mission trip. And if we could get the bus driver to join in the circle, all the better. And what we do, we'd all stand in a circle and often hold hands. And then some, someone, sometimes it was like the pastor or the youth leader or parent would pray out. I remember how they almost had to yell because it was, you know, outside and it was a big group. And, um, and bonus points to them if they use the phrase traveling mercies. I don't know if that's like a Southern Christian thing. It sounds very Southern to me. Like, travel, Lord, we just pray for traveling mercies. And, um, and it was like, it was, it was super cool. Like I, I, I just, I love this little, you know, this practice of, of gathering in a circle like this. It was like very memorable for me. Um, I even have memories of like my own parents. Um, it was like a mini version of this where my brother and I, prior to a road trip, I guess there's something about road trips and traveling that just makes us humans feel very vulnerable. Um, and I can remember my, my dad or my mom, like praying a prayer of protection over us. And even now here I am, you know, an adult myself. And I find myself during my morning prayer time doing what? Praying prayers of protection, mostly over everyone. <laughs> I'm like from over my wife and my children and um, all of you and my friends. I mean, just on and on. And I do. I just think there's something, I guess, just to be human. It's not only road trips. To be human is to feel so vulnerable that I'm just always praying like, oh, God, <laughs> be with be with us protect us. And I, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's beautiful. That's good. It's good to acknowledge God's presence, to ask God to be with us in a, in a special way. And yet here's, what's interesting. I can't help but notice that verse 11 seems to be a prayer similar to that. Verse 11 said, I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, right? So at first it's kind of this idea like, okay, Jesus, he's not going to be with us in the same way. Like he won't be in the world, but we'll still be in the world, kind of vulnerable and exposed. And so from here, we would probably expect Jesus to go on to say something like, you know, yes, protect them by the power of your name and guard them and keep them from every danger and help them make wise decisions and give them traveling mercies for the road. <laughs> um, but that's not at all where his prayer goes. Instead, what is what does he pray? Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So it's, it's a prayer for protection. However, it's a, it's a prayer for the protection of our unity, our oneness. And I mean, it's quite a oneness Jesus describes. He says literally, um, Father, as we are one, right? May, may they be one as we are one. Uh, that's a, whoa, that's a very powerful unity, a, a union. And, and it's pretty clear, you know, this, this, they, they may be one. This is not just within our little Christian friend group or our meetup or even our local table church. No, no, this is bigger and broader than that. This is, um, 
across denominational boundaries, across theological boundaries, across churchly boundaries of every kind. We, we are talking here about the whole body of Christ, the church in its broadest sense. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, Father, protect them, but, but specifically protect their oneness, their unity, their love. Now, I, I must admit, the way I read and interpreted this for years was really through the lens of the likely shock and disappointment Jesus must feel today at the lack of our unity in, in the, the body of Christ, right, the, the church. Like, I sort of imagine Jesus, you know, in light of this prayer and the, and the power of his prayers must just be so surprised to see how things have turned out. And I just kind of imagined, you know, what he foresaw as he was praying this prayer was a, a unified you know, arm in arm, hand in hand, loving church, expressing the glory and the beauty of God to the world through our love for one another. And thus, you know, how disappointed he must be and how things have turned out. And yet the more I've reflected on it, I wonder if perhaps precisely the reason he's praying this prayer is because he knows what it will take for there to be any unity at all. I mean, you just think of the human family. I mean, we can't, we can't hardly be unified on anything. I mean, heck, even like biological families struggle to say, stay unified. I mean, 20 year old friends, uh, or friends who have been, you know, friends for 20 years, like, you know, struggle, like all of a sudden you hit a roadblock and you're 21 and you can't get along. And it's like, oh, so I wonder if far from being shocked, maybe, this prayer for protection from the lips of Christ, maybe it's his own kind of premonition that this is going to take a miracle. Because I don't know about you, but um, in, in ways, my own journey up to this point in my Christian faith, and, and specifically these last three years of leading the table, has just made me more um, just aware, more deeply than ever, how in many ways alienated, uh, distant, I feel from the broader American church. And I'm speaking as someone who is um, what you might call post-evangelical, uh, meaning I've been, like in my history, in my, my formative years, powerfully shaped by the Protestant evangelical church's theology and politics, uh, the, the good, the, ba the bad, the ugly of it all. Um, however, I've come through that experience and out the other side different. And I kind of look back on my theological evangelical experience. And, you know, what I appreciate and what I hold on to are a few things. I, I appreciate the, the simple kind of loving one another that happened in evangelical churches I grew up in. And, I mean, in many ways, the, the table... Um, our, what's known as our ecclesiology, our kind of way of doing church, is very much patterned after those experiences. Um, so I, I do, I appreciate that. Um, I love the, the deep appreciation for scripture that that wing of the church has that, that really shaped me and my even style of preaching and everything, you know, continues to be formed by that. And, and even just the, the kind of truly wanting to love God in a personal way, not letting church and church attendance and engaging all this kind of become just a, 
rote kind of thing I just do, but, but this personal love for Christ, like all that's, that's all beautiful. And I've taken all that from my evangelical, um, tribe and in my roots. However, I think over time, what happened is that my tribe became a, a very powerful political and theological kind of brand. And in the process, we started to, to lose our soul. Like we were willing to trade our values to secure political wins. And at times, rather than allowing Christ and his inclusive radical love to reshape us and our political imaginations, kind of the reverse happened where we allowed what was convenient and kind of intuitive to us politically to get in the driver's seat of our faith in life. And suddenly, instead of Christ being kind of our co-captain there, you know, um, in the front seat, it was like suddenly Christ was in the back seat asking at times like, Hey everyone, uh, so where are we going? <laughs> or maybe even at points, we just kind of jettisoned Jesus entirely, just kind of kicked him out of the car. <laughs> and so I'm just, I'm looking at how the broader evangelical church has in, um, in history kind of treated women, um, perpetuated racism, not just kind of quietly acquiesced, but really actively fanned the flames of anti LGBTQ um, plus legislation currently seen in this slew of anti-trans bills and such. And I just, I've, I've simply never felt more alienated and distant and, you know, but Hey, apparently the feeling's mutual because I'm, I'm never sure whether to laugh or cry whenever the, the table, we would run like a Facebook ad just saying something kind of generic because of Facebook's advertising policy, you know, something like, uh, Hey, the table, we're an inclusive welcoming church in Saxe, Texas. And we'd love for you to come to, you know, fill in the blank, our summer on the kids camp or our Christmas Eve service or, you know, whatever. And the comments that would come forth from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, like, Oh, inclusive. Oh, we know what that's code for. You pastor are a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, you know, I'd, I'd usually just kind of laugh, you know, but I suspect it, it was to keep from crying because the truth is those words, um, those words do hurt. And if they, they hurt me, how much more many of you? And this is, this is beyond, you know, even just our LGBTQ members. Um, many of us feel alienated, distant from our, our, the broader American church. And so, you know, all that to say, yeah, like far from being shocked, I, I think Jesus knew, oh, this, oh, this is going to be a heck of a road. And I think that's why he prays, oh, Father, protect them, protect their unity. And, and again, I believe by them, it's, it's not, it's not so much a prayer for protection of our bodily safety, but, but it's a prayer for our heart. What, what do I mean by heart? I mean the emotional, spiritual core from which we live. As Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows everything you do. See, in essence, here's what I'm driving at. Unity in this life, 
will likely never be doctrinal, creedal, or theological. Instead, unity must be a posture of the heart, a leaning toward the other rather than away, a willingness to face vulnerability and ache. It's a heart that says, I do not understand you, and I I even deeply disagree with you, but nonetheless, I am for you. I am for you. Even if you are not for me, I am for you. We might say that if our unity is based solely in human agency and will, like just getting everyone to agree, getting everyone on the same page, aka my page, right? If, if it's just by human level might and power, then unity is dead before it begins. But what can happen to us and in us a miracle, a gift. You might even say a fruit of the Spirit. Unity is this result of the presence of the Spirit of God in us. See, wherever Christians gather in a spirit of grace and listening rather than judgment and shouting, the buds of unity begin to bloom. In other words, the flowers of unity find their roots in the soil of our heart. And if our hearts are reactionary, bitter, envious, furious, afraid, wounded, ashamed, defensive, no unity will be found. I don't care what your theological views of X, Y, and Z are. But where the soil of our hearts has been allowed to be tilled and weeded, fertilized and cultivated by the great gardener, Jesus Christ, where that soil has gone from reactionary to visionary, gentle, patient, healed, made whole. Unity can be again blossom and bloom. In fact, it's inevitable. It's, it's sort of like we, what we talked about a few weeks ago. Keeping the commandments, we said, is either easy or impossible. In a similar way, unity is either easy or impossible. And what's the difference? It depends on the soil of our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.